This is the best, most fun I have ever, ever, ever had on a podcast. This is a hit. I'm Jesse Cole, your host of Business Done Differently, where we get to meet successful people who look at business differently, and we get to know them in a different way. Well, I would say action leads motivation, and motivation doesn't necessarily always lead action. The crazier ones that actually might have the most merit, because they're not afraid, they've gotten past that, because that's what you guys do. That's pretty smart. Today's guest is Jeff Hayden, the best-selling author of The Motivation Myth, How High Achievers Set Themselves Up to Win. Now, there's the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Amazon bestsellers list, but there's also my yellow tux list. And Jeff, your book was on my top eight of 2018. This is a huge list, Jeff. And you absolutely nailed it with this book, and it's obvious why you've attracted more than 20 million viewers to your Inc. articles. Jeff, pumped to have you on Business Done Differently today. Thank you, Jesse. I'm... I. I've been looking forward to this all week, I have to admit. <laughs> well, it's going to be a wild ride, so just buckle up. So <laughs> I want to start with the compliment challenge. Jeff, I, you know, I read in the book <laughs> that you did an entire day just complimenting everyone, including strangers. A, I love this. B, what were you thinking and why were you doing this? Uh, what was I thinking is probably the best question you could ask. Uh, and the fact is that I wasn't. Uh, I like to do – I like to – I don't know. I'm, re- I'm relatively introverted and I'm fairly shy and I can kind of get inside of a cocoon, so to speak. And so I like to pick things to do that will stretch me way outside of that because, you know, whenever you do that, even if you don't stay at the extreme limit that you go to for a short period of time, it does ratchet up your capabilities or your threshold. And so I just thought, you know, I'm terrible at complimenting people. I don't do it nearly as often as I should. Everybody deserves praise. Everybody likes getting praise and everybody likes to be recognized. And I thought, well, how would it go if I all day long, if I ran into you and we made eye contact, that was my rule, then I had to find something to say that was positive. You know, how would I do that? Uh, And it was great and it sucked. Um, (laughs) And all of those kinds of things. Um, I realized that if you're in your 50s and you compliment a 20-year-old female, you come across as creepy, (laughs) or you can, depending on the nature of the compliment. But the coolest thing about it was, you know, I'm not very good with small talk. And so if I go to like parties or get-togethers or networking events, I'm not very good at that. I tend to retreat towards the edge of the room. And it was a really nice lesson that all you have to do is be friendly and be nice and say something positive about another person. And it instantly breaks down the barriers between you, if for no other reason than you see their face and you see them smile and you see them kind of cock their head almost and go, oh, wow, that was really nice of you to say. And all of the insecurity and the nervousness and all this stuff, it all just melts away. So it was really cool in that way, too. So it was a useful tip. It's a useful tool if you're introverted and you have a hard time meeting people. But the other cool thing is that, you know, when you say something nice to someone, that is genuine. If you notice something that they are doing that is and you comment on it in a genuine way, they feel good about themselves. And I mean, how cool is that? You can walk around and actually make a small difference in other people's lives. We talk about making a difference all the time, but it's really hard to make big differences. It's really easy to make small ones. And those are actually really meaningful too. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, it's why it's how you make people feel. And I think there's a few things out of that. I mean, you got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You got yourself really uncomfortable doing that, which I still visualize is uncomfortable. And I'm not an introvert like you. I'm wearing a bright yellow tuxedo. 
and experiments, Jeff. I mean, obviously doing these little experiments to learning. And a question, like, you know, have you started adding that more into your life, more compliments, or was it just a one day thing? You know, can business owners take something out of that and say, you know what, let's every day focus on complimenting people. The the biggest thing that I took from that, and it did become a habit really, really quickly, is and you mentioned business. From a business point of view, now whenever I if I need to call somebody, if I interview someone, if I meet someone, whatever that may be, I try to prepare myself enough to know something about the person that I can speak favorably about or about their business or whatever else it is. And by doing that right away, it breaks down any of that like barrier you have between each other. It's almost like it's the opposite of admitting an insecurity. Because usually if you if you admit an insecurity or you admit a vulnerability, then people tend to connect with you better. But if you compliment somebody, it also breaks it down. So I I try really, really hard to start every interaction with someone that I don't know with a little bit of research that I have in my pocket that I can say something nice about something that they've done in a genuine way. And it goes a long way towards establishing rapport almost instantly. And now it's just my wife the other the other day even said, I forget who I was talking to. I, I was interviewing somebody on the phone and she said, you know, you always start these things by telling him, telling people how much you love something they've done. And I said, well, one, I only talk to people that I love what they do because you know, I'm not going to waste my time. And I like that. But two, yeah, that has become a habit. So you're right. It did. It was a one day burst that actually started a habit that I've stuck with. I love that. Yeah. Take out of that. We can compliment people when we first talk to them. That makes them feel comfortable and good. I love that. All right. Now, obviously, you've interviewed can a I, lot. Can I add something? Yeah, definitely. The, I, something else about first meeting somebody. And this was, uh, oh, shoot, I should have said, can I add something? Because now I've forgotten the gentleman's name. But uh, Getting Things Done, David Allen, that yes. whole program, the guy that's his, the CEO of his company, I was interviewing him one time and I called and you know, we get on the phone and he says, before we start, what can I do to make this call awesome for you? And I thought, well, geez, I don't know. Nobody's ever asked me that. But that was a really cool way to start an interaction. It was like, okay, I didn't want something out of this. But really, if I flip that around and make this work out well for you, then I, in return, will get what I want from it as well. So it was a really cool kind of a lesson. That's another trick that you can use. Not a trick. It's another tip for first meeting somebody. Just say, hey, what can... What can I do to make this work out awesome for you? Oh, and it, okay. it's, it's really cool. Yeah, turn it around. I love it. Well, you know, one of your quotes in your book, which I jumped out, successful people are successful because they do things differently from other people. Obviously, we got a little taste of some of the things that you've done differently, but I want to jump right into different strokes. You know, what are you doing differently today than most people, Jeff? Uh, wow. I would say the <laughs> if, I, if I look around, at least to the people that write me and say, you know, hey, I, I either want to publish a book or I want to write for an online site or I want to do other stuff and I want the audience that you've managed to gain. You know, what's your secret? And I don't really have a secret other than I will outwork you. I'm not as smart as many people and I'm definitely not as talented. There's all kinds of things that I don't really have going for me, but I can outwork you. And so there's a, the guy that was the, uh, the skipper of one of the America's Cup winning boats, Jimmy Spithill. I think his, his quote, I'm going to mangle it a little bit, it's, but it's something to the effect of never have I seen not doing more than the other person be a successful strategy. Mm-hmm. And so it's something like that. And I try to follow that and, and it works. And then probably the other thing that I 
like to think I do differently than many people is that I, in my personal life, I'm sarcastic and I'm snarky and you know all that kind of stuff. But publicly and in writing and everything else, if I don't like something, if I don't love something, or if I don't like a person, a company, whatever it may be, I don't write about it. Mm-hmm. So I'm unfailingly positive, both because there's enough negative stuff going around, but then what's the point? I, I would rather celebrate good things then I would cut down things that maybe aren't so great. I love that. And you write about things that you're passionate about and it comes through in your writings and it's mm-hmm. obvious and it spreads that. And you're right, we need more positive news. The statistics these days on people that watch negative news and the effect it has on them is staggering. So, you know, obviously, thank you for giving that contribution. But I think for you a lot, it started with, you know, this role with, with Inc. and how, you know, in your book, you talk about this and the steps to become one of the top writers at Inc. And I'm fascinated, Jeff, by the journey and the lessons that you learned from there. So how did you do it? If you're giving some practical advice to someone on, you know, how to become the top of their game and potentially write for someone that makes such an impact, what would you, what would you tell them? Well, we can even go broader than just writing. I, I think a big mistake that lots of people make when they look at something that they want to achieve, they take a step back and they say, you know, well, but I'm unique and I'm special and I'm an individual, all of which is true. But then they allow that to, they let themselves say, so I need this special, unique process that I'm going to follow that is going to help me get to where I want to go. And I think that's a huge mistake because if you haven't gotten to where you want to go, you don't know how to get there. And stop pretending that you do. So look around and say, okay, who has done what I want to do? Hopefully directly, but maybe something that is applicable. What did they do? Not their attitude, not their pronouncements, not what they put on their Twitter feed, but what did they actually do to get to where they got to? And then model that. Everybody tries to reinvent the wheel, and there are so many perfectly good wheels out there, and all you have to do is model them. And then the trick is, though, then you have to actually do the work. And I think where people fall short on that is, uh, let's say that you're... Oh, I'll use the dumb, I'll use the marathon example. You say you want to run a marathon. Lots of people have that on their bucket list. And so, but you don't run. So you go out and run, somebody gives you a program and you follow it for five or six days and you're sore and you're tired and it doesn't feel that great. And you quit and you decide that this program wasn't right for you. What actually is happening is that you're going through the very natural beginner stage and progress will come if you stick with it. But you quit because the program isn't right for you. So you go try a different one and you go try a different one. And so the idea that you know enough within a week or so to know whether something really works for you, I think is silly. You have to commit to at least a couple of weeks of anything new. And when you do that, you will see some improvement and then you'll start to say, you know what, this does work for me. And maybe down the road, you'll see little tweaks that you can make because of your individuality. But 90% of it is going to work for you. So find someone who has done what you want to do and then model yourself after that and then create a process that allows you to get there. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm excited to dive into the process. That was fascinating in the book. But you said get a pro instead of a coach, Jeff. And I think that is really interesting because people always talk about coaching, coaching, coaching. But how does someone get a pro? I mean, I'm even thinking about, you know, in, in my industry you know, the top person in sports, you know, maybe it's, maybe it is Mark Cuban with what he's doing, the Dallas Mavericks. Maybe it is someone with the the Golden State Warriors, but you know, I'm thinking much different as far as entertainment. How does someone go about getting to the top of their game, a pro? Because a coach is a lot easier to then get than a pro. Well, I've taken a lot of, I've had a lot of uh, 
pointed comments about that chapter <laughs> because the people that are in the coaching business, you know, think it's offensive. But the point behind it is, and again, if we use the marathon example, let's say you want to run a marathon. And so you go to your local gym and there is a personal trainer there. Nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with personal trainers. But in this example, you go to the personal trainer and you say, hey, I would love to run a marathon. They're going to ask you questions like, you know, what, where do you start? Where are you starting from? What do you like to do? What's the schedule? You know, they're going to ask you all these things about you, and then they're going to give you this sugar-coated program that is adapted to you that has almost no likelihood of getting you to where you want to be. As opposed to if you know someone, and it doesn't have to be a, a superstar athlete, but if you know someone who has run three or four marathons and you went to them and said, hey, I want to run a marathon this fall. And here's how much time I have between now and then. If you were me, what would you do? They're going to give you a clear-eyed, cold, clinical, here's what you have to do. No ifs, ands, or buts. This is your deal. So to me, which one would you rather follow? The one that feels good or the one that like feels like it might be fun, which we can talk about fun if you want to, or the one that has a really, really strong likelihood of you succeeding. Oh, I love it. No, it makes when sense. Less, and, and if I, I'll, I promise I'll stop after this. But if you think about how we put effort into things, effort in the moment is hard, but then once you're done, it's gone and it's behind you. So at the end of a six-month period, if you've worked really, really hard at something and you've achieved what you wanted to or you've worked kind of half-assed and you haven't achieved what you wanted to, Either way, all that effort is behind you. It's, it doesn't bother you now. So what would you have rather done? Work really hard and succeed or work kind of half-assed and not succeed? <laughs> so that's – and that's how I look at – that's how I try to look at everything. It's like, okay, the hard way is usually the way that works. Yeah. No, I love it. I, and I think that goes right into like the, the anti-motivation minutes I want to jump into, Jeff. Let's call this inspiration perspiration. And you said you don't need mo motivation to break a sweat. Break a sweat and you'll feel motivated. So is this how you approach everything? I try to. The The hardest thing, I'm, I'm a big procrastinator. Like most people, it is really easy for me to procrastinate on stuff. And it's really easy for me to say, I don't really want to start that. And you can find reasons to start something else that feels a little bit easier. Before you know it, you found a reason to do whatever it is you set out to do today, tomorrow. And so, you know, there's the, I forget his name as well. Um, you're asking great questions and I'm not prepared for some of them. The, one of the co-founders of Pinterest has this, um, has this rule he tells himself if there's some task he doesn't want to take on, he says to himself, okay, I'm just going to commit to doing it for five minutes. And if I get to the end of five minutes and I really don't want to do it, I'll stop, but I'm at least going to do five minutes. And invariably, if you can do that five minutes, which is my version of breaking the sweat, you're into it. And it's rolling and all that stuff where you thought, wow, this is going to be too hard. I don't think I can do it. And it's too daunting. And all of those things that cause us to procrastinate, they all go away because you realize this isn't so bad. I can do this. I'm rolling. It's okay. And you will, if you commit to five minutes or if you just commit to breaking a sweat, as I put it, you will almost never decide that you don't want to do it because all that stuff that held you back, it disappears. Mm. Well, I would say action leads motivation and motivation doesn't necessarily always lead action. And it's like what you say, if you go out for a run, you run, then you all of a sudden you feel great. You feel great about your body and you want to do more things. Or people that are cleaning their house, they clean their closet and all of a sudden they start cleaning everything. And it's it just once you get started. But I think the big thing, Jeff, which I'm really, really curious about 
is this process and loving the process. You hear it all the time. Love the journey, love the process. But we are an outcome society. We are focused on likes, comments. I mean, even, you know, it's tough. I mean, you grew so much with Inc. to have so many million viewers and readers. You were watching that. But how can you teach for someone to love the process? I mean, you talk about Kirk Hammond. I know some of the people you interview, but can you teach it? The, the big trick to that is, and you're right, we are taught to set these big, hairy, audacious goals, and we're ta- taught to keep this laser-like focus on the end result because that's supposed to motivate you. And I think that's actually demotivating, personally. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you have to learn to love the process. You just have to focus your goal on being whatever it is you set out to do today. And if you learn to focus on that and just get your satisfaction from completing what your process says you will do today, that makes you feel successful because you are. You did what you set out to do. That feels good. That gives you a little bit of motivation. All the motivation you need to tomorrow start over again and do what you need to do tomorrow. And you can keep rolling on forever if you do that because it creates that really cool virtuous flywheel of effort equals a little bit of success and improvement equals I feel good about myself, which we all feel good about ourselves. So that's perfect too. And then that gives you the motivation to keep going. The opposite is when you have this huge goal and you're always focused on that, but you're starting from here, which is a long, long way from that goal. If you do a little bit of work today and you look out across that huge gulf and say, oh my gosh, but I've got to go all the way there. That's demotivating to me because it seems too far. It is not one bridge too far. It is a thousand bridges too far. So you don't have to love the process. You just have to focus on the process and on what you do today. And the coolest thing about that is if you think about a day recently where at the end of the day, you sat back and said, man, I had a good day. You're not thinking, wow, I bought a new house. Wow, I bought a new car. These external things that happened to you, you're thinking, you know what? I had a lot on my plate today that I plan to do, and I did it, and I feel good about it, and I know that's going to take me somewhere. And you can have that every day. So you can get this source of happiness from it as well. So it really is a cool, multifaceted thing. If you can just find it, if you can train yourself, and it doesn't take very long, to focus on what you need to do today. I love it. Just win the day. And I want to get into the goal shift, because what you think about goals is very unique. Um, but yeah, just win the day. Even if it's just a few things, you get that done. The momentum that you will feel and the positive vibes, I think it makes a lot of sense. But well, Jeff, let's, let's flip this around, right. you know, because you take over this baseball team mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's in the depths of despair. So if you had sat there and said, okay, here's where we are, but here's where we need to be. If all you had focused on was where you eventually needed to be, it would have been really, really hard to stick with it because it is so big of a turnaround to pull off. But I feel sure that you said, okay, but here's what we're going to do now, and here's what we're going to do today, and here's what we're going to do tomorrow, and here's what we're going to do the next day, and we are going to make those things build. And you created, whether formally or informally, you created a process that allowed you to build momentum, build on success, and create its own snowball, and you got to a really cool place. But you didn't sit there and say, wow, we're here. We need to go all the way over there because all the way over there is too freaking far. A hundred percent. It's the baby steps every day. And again, over time, you can look back and say, you know what? I really enjoyed that. But you don't need to focus so much on that. I love that, Jeff. And we're going to dive more in that. But we're going to go into a game. Like I said, our our games at our ballpark are crazy. So we're going to go into our first game here. It's a little business jeopardy. 
all right? With okay. famous, with famous <laughs> Jeffs, all right? You've never done this on a podcast, so it is the I have not. <laughs> so basically, if you hear nervousness in my voice, it's because it's there. You've got to answer with either a who is this person. So it's famous Jeffs, and just picture the business Jeopardy music playing in the background. You ready? Okay, famous Jeffs, correct? Uh, yes, that's correct. Okay. He is now the richest person in the world with a net worth of over $104 billion. Oh, that has to be who is Jeff Bezos. Oh, that's, e- that's easy. I started you off easy. One for one. All right. Have you have you interviewed him yet, by the way? I have not. He's hard to get to, but he is on my list. I've got in the Billionaires Club, I've got Richard Branson. I've got Cuban. I've got uh, Roger Penske. Uh, shoot, I've got at least two more. I forget. Uh, but anyway, I'm, I'm working on it. But yeah, he would be great. But I don't think he does a lot of interviews. No, he's, he's so focused on his doing his stuff every single day, going back to Yeah, I, I don't think he needs to do interviews to think about it. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, he gets enough attention just for being successful. 100%. Which, hey, good for him. Definitely. All right, back to Business Jeopardy. This Jeff starred in Dumb and Dumber. Oh, crap. I know, Jeff Daniels. Who is Jeff Daniels? Boom, two for two. All right. So, like, so I didn't get the Jeopardy. I got to I gotta practice that Jeopardy convention, you know, <laughs> of who is what is. <laughs> All right, final three here. He is a NASCAR racer, former, who's won the Daytona 500 three times. Uh, I guess it's going to be Jeff Gordon. Who is Jeff who Gordon? Is Jeff? Ah, I'm sorry. Who is Jeff three. All right, these last two are tougher. All right, here we go. I have interviewed Jeff Gordon, by the way. Oh, you ha- oh, yes. Yes, you have. All right. All right. Quickly. One of the best takeaways from Jeff Gordon. One of the best takeaways from Jeff Gordon? Interviewing him. Uh, he is a fanatic about preparation. Okay. And you would think that somebody that succeeds at that level would start to coast a little bit. And that is not the case. Fanatic about preparation. Beautiful. He actually lives in Charlotte. We have a team outside here as well. All right. Final two. This Jeff is the most famous comedian and ventriloquist. Oh, shoot. Is he the one that has the different puppets? Yes. <laughs> oh, man, my, my daughter loves him, and I am not. He's got one that's like a terrorist and something, oh, yeah. a jalapeno on a stick. I, yeah, I, who is, but I don't know his last name. Who shoot. is Ventrilo? Yeah, okay, you're, I'll give you half. Jeff Dunham is his name. All right. That's, um, shoot. If this last one you get, I'm going to be blown away. So I started with some easy ones here. He is a famous TV host but most well-known for the Survivor Series. Jeff Probst, or Props. Who is Jeff Probst? Oh, all right. You know your Jeffs. And you yeah, have... I know that one, because he's on Howard Stern sometimes. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's how I got. I don't watch Survivor. <laughs> Love it. All right, you have passed Business Jeopardy. You are flying with high colors right now, Jeff. Now we'll get back to our regularly scheduled interview. All right. You ready for... I want to go into the goal shift quickly here, because you, you briefly talked about it. You said, don't do smart goals. The greater you focus, the lower your chance of success. Can you give an example of either someone you've interviewed or someone in your book on that proves this example or even yourself with, with uh, writing? Uh, I've got it easy. Um, and to prove that process trumps like just setting a goal, uh, a couple of years ago, I decided I wanted to do 100,000 push-ups in a year. And it, that goal had zero meaning to me. It, had, it was not going to change my life. There was none of that stuff. It was measurable, clearly. 
Uh, it did not seem attainable or achievable, but it was just a, a goal that I just said, okay, I wonder if I could do this. So I broke it down and that's 274 push-ups a day. I also did 50,000 sit-ups by the way, but we're not going to talk about that because I've tried to repress that part of the experience because <laughs> I hate sit-ups. Um, but I broke it down to 274 a day and I decided to do 300 to give myself a buffer. And I created a little Excel spreadsheet and I did not have the columns split because I didn't want to look at the difference between where I was at the end of January versus where I needed to be by the end of the year. I just focused on doing my day. And it's very much the Jerry Seinfeld approach. Mm -hmm. Seinfeld is famous for having calendars and he puts an X every day when he writes a joke. And his goal is just to write a good joke every day. And he has years worth of these calendars stored away where they have X's on it. That's his thing. Mine was to fill out my Excel spreadsheet for my push-ups. I got through the year and I did them. It wasn't a smart goal. It didn't have meaning to me, which people like to get into. But what's funny about it is if you do something like that, you go from being the person who does push-ups every day, you know, like I had this process to follow, and it actually became this weird part of my identity where that's what I do, and that's what I would do. So, you know, I'm in an airport. Got to do my push-ups. I'm doing my push-ups. People would say, what are you doing? I'd say, well, I'm being stupid, which is really what it was. Um, but I would explain it. But it became part of my identity, which is a really cool part of when you set out to do something and you create a process and you follow it. You switch over and it becomes part of you. You know, so like if you start jogging, at some point if you keep doing it, you switch from being a person who goes running every day to you become a runner. Yes. You know, if you're a first-time supervisor, for a little while you're supervising, but at some point you switch over and you see yourself as a leader. And when you embrace things, when success at something allows you to embrace it, then you become that thing. Then motivation becomes an even smaller part of what you have to do because that's just who you are. Yeah. Right? The, the best example I always use for is I ask people if they have kids, and if they say yes, I say, do you have to motivate yourself to take care of your kids? <laughs> no, you're a parent. That's what you do. It's part of your so, life. Yeah. And that's you can do that with all sorts of things, and they don't even have to have huge meaning. You just have to embrace a process and give that time to inform your attitude about yourself. Behavior really does create attitude. You don't have to have attitude first before behavior. You can go the other way around. You know, I love this so much because I've seen it in my life, and I think so many entrepreneurs need to put it into their life. It's like training a muscle. You know, you mentioned the running. I do run every day, and I don't even think about it. But the new things that I've tried recently and inspired a little bit by you is, is the writing every day. And now I've been doing this for, you know, a couple of months, and I also write 10 ideas every single morning. 10 ideas, no matter what. It's just part of my... So now I have thousands of ideas. And yeah. I don't even think about it, but it's all right in front of me. And I think people need to commit to something just one day at a time. And I just, I, I think that's brilliant. And I hope if they get something out of this this edition, this this episode, it's like, start doing one thing every day and just commit to it. Your example is a really, really good one because they're, you know, people think that like for innovation or creativity, you have to just wait until you have that lightning bolt moment of, oh, here's, here's a cool idea. <laughs> Most people that are creative they schedule their creativity, so to speak. They actually have blocks of time where they sit down and say, like you do, okay, I'm going to come up with 10 ideas. They may not all be perfect, but if you do that every day, you're going to have some really good ones because that's a muscle that you have trained. So you don't have to wait. You can say, 
I'm going to do this all the time. 100. And with our team, we also schedule idea paloozas where we get the entire staff again, millennials, 22 to 27, and we put ideas in our idea box. And for an hour, hour and a half, we just go through it. And it's part you have to put ideas into the idea box. So we're training that creative muscle, which I think every company could use a little bit more of. So the other thing that you're doing by doing that is that you're making it. You know, it's hard to. In a group setting, sometimes it's hard to suggest ideas. It's hard enough to think that your own ideas are good, but when you float them in front of other people, then there's an insecurity that goes with that. Mm. But if you practice that and you guys are doing it all the time, people get comfortable with it. It's not as big of a deal. And then you're going to get better ideas from them because they're not going to hold back the crazier ones that actually might have the most merit because they're not afraid. They've gotten past that because that's what you guys do. That's pretty smart. Yeah, we've been having fun with it. But all right. So now I want to go to another new segment, Jeff, called The Simple Life. I am obsessed with keeping it simple. I dedicated a whole chapter in my book about keeping it simple. The famous quote from Steve Jobs, if you can make things simple, you can move mountains. It sounds like you've developed a lot of simple tactics. But is there anything that you really think someone could take out of this to simplify their business or simplify their life? Wow, uh, there's a ton of stuff. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the simple way to. How about a simple way to start your day? Love it. Um, I, for me, momentum is everything, uh, which should be probably obvious to people by now. So the night before, I lay out whatever it is that is most important for me to do the next day. I have it all set up wherever I'm working from. I have no impediments to me getting started on it. I have a bottle of water and a protein bar sitting beside my computer because I eat breakfast as I start working. That's my breakfast. And I get up, and since my commute is two flights of stairs, I get up and within 10 minutes I'm sitting down and I am working on whatever that is. I don't make a choice. I don't decide what to do. I don't, it just, that's what I do. And it's a very simple kind of regimented approach. But the cool thing is, let's say that that takes me an hour to do. When I get to the end of that hour, I feel really good because I knocked off something that was important to me. And that creates momentum to say, okay, what's next? And what's next? And what's next? As opposed to starting your day, you know, see what the news is, see what your social media stuff is. You know, at some point you have to decide to buckle down. Mm. And it's really hard to decide to buckle down when you've been goofing around for a little bit. <laughs> you almost have to force yourself. So to me, it's just a choice architecture thing, but it's, if I simplify it to the point where this is what I am going to do, then I right away get something really good done, and it does create momentum for the rest of your day. I love it. You know, the key word I keep hearing here is, is momentum, Jeff. You know, I can see your next book being like the momentum principle or the art of momentum because I mean, it's if you get momentum, it's everything. And I just oh. I, I think that's what you've been talking about and how you generated that with Ink and, and all the viewers and the readers. And um, I, I don't I want to keep moving through our segments, but I just I think the momentum is really a key piece for our entrepreneurs listening, how can you... Yeah, if I, if I can jump in there, the thing, people sometimes get afraid to have kind of a formalized process or something as rigid as what I just described because it, it feels restrictive. I actually think it's empowering because what it does is it says, this is important to me. I'm going to do this. And then that sets me up for a great rest of my day. That's an empowering thing, not a restrictive thing. Because at the end of the day, your success is based on what you got done that was important to you, not having the freedom to do whatever it is you feel like doing. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Jeff, I do want to debate you on something. This is a new section called Debatable. All right, so let's have some fun with this. 
You wrote, accept your weaknesses and work to improve them, and you'll eventually be stronger and move more motivated to keep improving. And you talk about generalists versus specialists. You know, I've balanced this. I really believe a lot of times you're going to focus on your strengths, but you go the opposite that you need to be almost more well-rounded. Can you share? Because I'm very intrigued by this. Uh, my, my point with that is that very few of us over a long period of time have the luxury of staying with one specialty and having that continue to drive success. And then also, I think you can burn out or get a little bored with that. Mm -hmm. And so what people tend to do, and my, my point with that is that people tend to say, okay, I'm really good at this, so I'm going to do that. But there are weaknesses that they have that hold them back. So if you have things that you feel like you don't do well, <clears throat> take a look at it and be honest about it and say, okay, does that really matter? If it doesn't, it doesn't. But in, in many cases, a little bit of improvement in that would help you out personally. Um, plus, I think it's just fun to, to pick something and say, you know what? I'm not very good at that. And I think I would like to try to get better at that. I think that's cool. Challenging yourself, yeah, yeah. I think, keeps you alive. Yeah, and it's the experiments. And I guess I get that because all if you look at most successful people, entrepreneurs, they need those challenges. If they become really good at something, they move on to the next thing. I call it a little bit of the success trap because you become great at something, then you feel like you have to do more. But it makes sense. So I guess, can you get great at your strengths, but maybe look at different ways to utilize them as opposed to, because for instance, for me, I'm terrible at a lot of things. And if I work really hard at those, I'm never going to be the best singer in the world or the best actor or dancer. So, but if I focus on the things I do well, the promoting, the speaking, et cetera, I could be the best. And I just feel like there's a balance there, Jeff. Yeah. So what you could do though, is you can take some of your strengths and say, okay, <clears throat> I'm really good at this but I've never applied it in that area, some other area. So what if I take that and I branch out and I say, you know, I'm good at speaking, I'm good at books, whatever the things are that you are good at, but I'm not good at something else that might help my business. And then you focus on that and extend those strength. Okay. And I think that sometimes people don't do either because they say, okay, well, I'm just really good at speaking, so I'm going to stick to the speaking. <laughs> but there are other avenues for media stuff, for instance, that might be really powerful. Uh, what's his name? Brendan Burchard. Brendan Burchard, yeah. Yeah, he's, you know, he writes, but he, and he, I talked to him, and his YouTube stuff is really what put him on the map when he was doing videos. And he had no video experience, nothing about it, felt horribly uncomfortable, but he said, you know, I think this is the future for what I'm trying to do, so I'm going to learn this. And so he took a weakness and made it a strength. Um, so I think sometimes that's, if you look at what you're doing and say, wow, I'm strong at this, but what my business really needs is that, well, then you can hire that or you can say, I'm going to get at least fairly good at that. And then I will know better who the perfect people to hire are to do that with me. Makes sense. All right. You've convinced me, Jeff, you won the debatable. All right. You won that debate. All right. Uh, you were going to let me win. <laughs> I wouldn't be that brutal. You're, you're a gracious host. <laughs> All right. Before we go into the ninth inning with some final questions here, I want to have another game, and it is truth and dare. Just do it. Which one would you like first? Uh, I don't care. Let's go truth. All right. Truth. What's holding you back from success right now? I, uh, let's see. How's the best way to put this? I... Am confident up to the point 
that I get ready to try something new and then I get really insecure. So my ability to push through that and say, you know what, I'm going to give that a try. Even though I've tried lots of stuff, I still carry that with me. And so embracing the fact that I can do even more than I have done to this point is something that I still struggle with. Mm. Pushing through that self-doubt almost. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Feel that too. All right. You put, you, that, you put that much better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Are you ready for the dare? Because it is truth and dare. Yeah. Uh, all right. So this is a game we do at all of our ballparks. It is called Sing in the Blank. So we will play a song, and then when the song stops, you have to finish the song lyrics. Normally, we have two grown men holding a microphone, singing to each other's eyes. So you're just singing to me here. Are you ready for oh, this? Oh, I actually have to sing? Oh, it's going to be hilarious. Oh, yeah. See that whole self-doubt thing? Here we go, baby. <laughs> Believe me, I've had some really epic, terrible singers. So let's let's hope right. you know it. Are you ready? So finish that song lyric. It's a famous song going back a few years and fits with what you're talking about. You ready? Yep. All right. Ain't no. Oh, I don't know the words. Shoot. Ain't no. Oh, I'm dying. Mountain high. Oh, yeah. Ain't no mountain high. Yes. That's awful. Ain't no mountain high. See, that was perfect. That's one of the other experiments. You you have passed truth and dare. You nailed the first part. I knew that song, but then when I started to sing, the lyrics just disappeared. There's a, there's a whole other, uh, what's that, symptom of self-doubt. <laughs> when you're not confident. You lose stuff that you do. But you, hey, you got comfortable being uncomfortable and you tried it, man. And I appreciate it. it. Believe me, we've had a lot worse singers at our ballparks in front of 4,000 people live. So believe me, you're, I you're really good. I can't imagine doing that. That's a, wow. <laughs> it, it's a lot of fun. I think fans love that, though. Oh, yeah. We have, we have blindfolded dance-offs. We pie people. We do crazy things. So that's definitely one of the fun ones as well. All right, Jeff. We are on to the ninth inning. And if, we're going to go through this pretty quickly. First question segment is flip the script. You are now the host of Business Done Differently, and you can ask me one question. Hmm. Really? Um, okay. I write, I speak, I do books, and if I let you into my life and said, based on all your experience and the cool stuff that you've done in your business life, what is it that I'm missing? Where should I go next? What, what is the gap? What would you say? The gap of, of understanding me? No, me. Like, if you looked at what I'm doing and said, okay, you're doing great, but you could be 10x if you did something else. Self-promote. Really? So, so, and when I look at I'm a big, I studied P.T. Barnum, Walt Disney, everyone. I think that's a huge thing. I can tell based on you just a little bit from your, your confidence and your unbelievable humility. You know, the greatest, most successful people understand how to promote themselves and tell their story, which it's not overly arrogant. It's in a way that can actually inspire and I think what you've done, Jeff, is unbelievably inspiring. And I think you need to share it more in a way that can get even people more that are evangelists and more raving fans of what you're doing. You know, that's, that's pretty astute of you because I, I sheer away from anything that feels even remotely self-promotional to a fault. So that was, that was very sharp of you. It's tough. Well, if you don't promote what you're doing, sometimes nobody will. Yeah, I'm with you. I, oh, I believe me. I know. But that, that comes from another little bit of insecurity and self-doubt as well. So, hey, you're pretty smart. <laughs> I can see what you're doing, and it's impressive. So, all right, now I want to go into question time. You know, if you want better answers in business, you need to ask better questions. And you are a professional interviewer. What are some of the best questions you are asking? 
uh, I love to go past platitudes and keep saying how. Or I don't why is interesting, but how is really, really important. But you can't ask a question where you are presupposing an answer. So if I said to you, the best thing that I could say to you say about baseball would be, wow, how did you grow attendance to that level? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, you know, hey, Jesse, do you think it's, uh, you know, is this that's done it or is it that that's done it? You know, where the person tries to seem smart in the question. So the shorter your question, almost always the better it is because you want to just say, here's the subject. Tell me what you know about that. Uh, and people will open up as opposed to a long-winded question that is supposed to make you look like you're smart because you've asked it. And you, we've all been to events where people ask a question that has nothing to do with wanting the person to answer. It's just all intended to make them look smart. Oh, I love that. And you know, one of the best podcasts is how, how did I build this? And it's just asking, how did they build their company? And you right. it's so simple. You know, it's funny because I always think about the why question, the purpose. Why do you do this? Why, why, why? But the how can sometimes get you more of an elaborate answer. Jeff, that is awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and you could go how endlessly. Yeah. You know, because if it's, you know, well, we started doing, you know, between any promotions. Oh, really? How did you do that? And how did you do that? And how did you do that? And you can do, drill down into really, really cool stuff. And the why becomes self-evident within the how. Oh, yeah. Because we're trying to make it a circus where it's not about baseball, it's all about entertainment. That's the why, but the how will get you there. I love it. Right. Great stuff. All right. See, this is another challenging one, maybe, potentially. Now that's what I call service. And I ask this question because I'm obsessed with service. You know, the fans first mentality. And I ask this question to a lot of people, and very few people have an answer of a great service experience that happened to them recently. Does any service experience stand out for you recently? Uh, I don't think it's really service, but maybe it is. Uh, I was on a flight from, um, let's see, I was in Atlanta, and the pilot, well, two parts, and I'm sorry if this is long. We were delayed, there was a mechanical issue, and then the pilot actually came back up the jetway and got on the little speaker instead of the gate attendant and said, hey, you know, there's a mechanical issue on the plane, they said that they could fix it, I'm a little bit unsure about it. You know, I'd rather be safe. I called and found another plane. You know, we're going to move to this gate, and I promise we'll get you off within 20, 25 minutes and, you know, try to make up time in the air. But I like the fact that the pilot came out and said it, Mm. and it immediately made people go, oh, okay. (laughs) You know, because the person doing it came out and said it. So I really like that. So then we were waiting over in that other area, and he walked over with the flight crew. They sat in one area. He came over and sat close to where I was just sitting. So I told him, hey, that's really cool. I like that you came out and did that. And he said, well, why should I tell it the gate? Why should I leave the gate attendant being the middle person when I can just come up and do it myself? So we talked for a few minutes. It was very nice. So we're flying to Virginia Beach where we live. And I had told him where I lived. And anyway, long story short, he says to the, he comes on the thing and says, hey, we're landing in about five minutes. We're going to go out of the bay and we'll come back in. And he says, so Jeff, if you look out the window, you'll probably be able to see your house. And everybody on the plane kind of looks around like, what the heck is he talking about? And I thought, that was kind of cute. You know, it was just a small little thing. And so I looked out the window and I didn't see my house. <laughs> so I'm getting off the plane and I, he happened to look back as I was going by. And I said, I, I just held my hands up there like, you know, where's my house? And he said, oh, they, they told us to hit a different run right, right at the end. And so I, you know, but I didn't think it'd be sensible for me to be on the loudspeaker telling people that. Um, but anyway, the whole thing took 
you know, because flying is usually a very transactional kind of impersonal thing, and it's almost adversarial a lot of times between the customer and the airline, and it turned it into just, it's a people thing. And isn't that's what business really is, is it's people stuff. And so that wasn't necessarily service, but I just remember that as like, you know, if everybody just kind of opened up a little bit and, and took it to the people level, then most service issues kind of go away. It's the human connection. You know, we always say we're not in the baseball business, we're in the entertainment business, but we're really in the people business. And yeah. if you understand that, you win in business. So excellent. Yeah. All right, we're going to bang through these last few segments here. Tool time. Uh, what is the most important tool you have in your business toolbox? Most important tool in my business toolbox. I'm not much on apps. Um, I'm not much on, I, I'm not a Luddite by any means, but I just feel that most of the time you end up a slave to the technology as opposed to letting it serve you. So the most important tool for me is actually the connections that I have built up over the years. Uh, I like to think that, or I, someone told me one time that everyone, someone you know, knows someone you need to know. And I try really, really hard to extend that to the people that I connect with. Um, and every once in a while it comes back around. So I would say the connections that I've made. Wonderful. Beautiful. Time for favorites now. Lightning round. Favorite part of your morning routine? Getting that first thing done and feeling good about it. Beautiful. All right. What a favorite thing that you have on your bucket list? Ooh, that I have not done? Yes. I'm learning to play guitar. Oh, nice. You could learn from Kirk Hammett. Uh, Kirk is actually the one that, that guilted me into doing it because we were talking and I said, you know, I always wanted to do that. And he said, why haven't you? And I made a couple of excuses and he kept, he just kept looking at me, at me and said, why haven't you? Why haven't you? Why haven't you? And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Beautiful. Favorite way to unwind at the end of the day? Um, actually, my favorite way to unwind is actually exercise. And it doesn't have to be at the end of the day. But there's something about if you strip yourself down and you're really putting out a lot of effort that all the little stuff goes away because you're just left with yourself. Um, and I think that's perfect. Beautiful. Push-ups but no sit-ups. All right. Favorite favorite book that stands out? Uh, one that I've read recently that I really like is uh, Culture Code by Dan Coyle. If you're a leader, it's a really, really good book. Uh, Ryan Holiday's book about Gawker, what's it called, Conspiracy. Oh, that's um, a good one, yeah. It's, it's a good story. Even if you don't care about Gawker and Hulk Hogan and Peter Thiel and all that stuff, it's it's a really cool philosophical thing. He, he does a really good job of weaving a lot of different books into one in a really cool way. Awesome. Favorite restaurant? Uh, I'm going to mangle the pronunciation, but it's... La Bernardin in New York. It's Eric Reichert's uh, restaurant. He treated my wife and I to like the, the chef's menu one night. Uh, and luckily I didn't have to pay because it's like $700 for two people. <laughs> uh, but it was awesome. Um, and I don't think it'll ever be topped for me anyway. Awesome. And now favorite magic moment, a moment you'll never forget. Ooh, moment I will never forget. Um... You know what? This is so corny, and it probably will come across, across as cliche, but uh, the day I married my wife. You know what's amazing, Jeff? I hear that in the day that their first baby was born and their child was born. I hear that more than anything. So it's amazing. I love to see successful people. It's, it's family. It is one of the focuses. I love that. All right. And now just the final four here at the end of every show, and you have conquered the show so far, Jeff, so you're doing strong. Final four. One thing, what have you done to stand out in business and in life? 
Why not? Don't you stand out in business and in life? Ah, so you're back to my insecurities again because I really don't feel that I stood out to that degree. Um, Self-promote here. Yeah. I, wow. I like my book. Um, that's really good. Uh, I would say that it's not necessarily a standout thing, but I do like when, and I get them all, I get lots of letters and emails and things from readers who say, this really helped me, or this made a difference, or, you know, if nothing else, hey, if somebody like you can do pretty cool things, I decided that I probably could too. Um, and I really like that. So do you, would you say it's just getting things done? Yeah. Right. There you go. I'll take that. <laughs> what about best advice you'd give to someone to stand out in business and in life? Uh, you, wow, I'm going to go back to outwork people. Or let me, let me, let me phrase it differently. Whatever situation you go into, if you're going into a meeting, your goal is to not win the meeting, but be the most prepared or the one with the best ideas or the one that helps further the group's goals. But your goal is to be the best person in the room in whatever room that you go into. And what that does is that it will allow you to ratchet your way up. So if you're at an entry-level job, be the best person at your job. That's what is most likely to get you promoted. Then when you get to that level, be the best person there. It's what you're doing with your team. You're trying to create the best baseball, circus, <laughs> entertainment, whatever experience. You are trying to be the best at that. And if you do that, who knows what you'll extend into. Love that. Great advice. Now, final two here, the best advice you've received. Um, shut up. You're not as smart as you think you are. Seriously. <laughs> oh, I love that. Who gave oh, it to you? And then the other one was my grandfather. I was 13 and I was cleaning out horse stalls with him. He worked on a farm and I complained about the smell. And he said, the, what, what, let me make sure I get this right. He said, that smell, that's job security, boy. <laughs> and what his point was is that if you are willing to do the worst jobs, then that can be your advantage. Oh, love that. Uh, final question here, Jeff. How do you want to be remembered? Hmm. You know, I really don't think in those terms, to be honest. But I, I guess if I if there was something like that that I was going to be remembered, it would be that I was an average person who worked hard and tried hard and got to accomplish things that were not necessarily average. And maybe people would look at that and say, you know, if that doofus can do it, I can too. Anybody can do it. Ordinary to extraordinary. Jeff, you are outstanding today on business done differently. Where can people learn more about you? The motivation myth that's out, but where can people learn and connect with you? Uh, if you go to com and search my name, there's about 1,600 articles. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and I do connect with people. I've got, I guess, 960,000 followers or something, but I, I connect and I interact um, if they want to. And uh, that's, shoot, between the two of those. Uh, that would be fun. Wow. Well, Jeff, thank you for the impact you are making and appreciate you being an amazing guest today on Business Done Differently. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Business Done Differently. Our goal is simple, to inspire you to think different, have fun, and stand out in business and in life. For more ways you can stand out in your business, visit findyouryellowtux.com and you can get the Yellow Tux Handbook for free with the six steps to stand out directly from the Find Your Yellow Tux book. Finally, a big shout out to Podcast Pilot for producing the show and making all the magic happen. 
For questions, ideas, and feedback, I'd love to hear from you. So shoot a note to jesse at findyouryellowtux.com. Until next time, stop standing still, start standing out.